You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. I am Rev Yearwood, president and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And somewhere out there in the world is my dear sister, Antonique Smith. Antonique is there somewhere. She's over there in La La Land. She's going to join us. So next to me is my dear brother, Mustafa. Yes, I'm Mustafa Santiago, Ali, Senior Vice President of the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just the facts and stronger communities. And man, we want to thank you, say thank you to our team here at WPFW in the District of Columbia and for all of our listeners. Man, the show has been growing, particularly for our, our young sisters and brothers out there who have been tuning in, fighting a good fight. Man, we just want to say that we love you all. And you, everybody, check out our new website at think100.info. The site features some of our favorite videos from 2018. More about your Think 100% host, official Think 100% swag, and more. <laughs> so also be sure to subscribe and rate our Think 100% iTunes podcast. And keep up with us at Think 100% Show on both Twitter and Instagram. And during this show, we'll be sharing everything you need to know about what is happening from the streets to the suites. Come on now. We're going to break down what's happening in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia and how it all connects to the rest of the country and the world. It's going to be an amazing show with our three amazing guests. And let me just check. You know, every week, first, let me just say this, and I, I, and I know she's probably out there now. Let me say this. Anthony does this segment called In the Movement. And, you know... We a little bit of Debbie Downer sometimes. <laughs> and I know it's a lot of different things that go on in the movement and the climate. In the climate world, it's tough. I mean, listen, man, we don't we sometimes don't have some of the greatest things to say, but you know, but we but we do actually have some great things to talk about. So, Antonique, you don't have to hide. I know I said that last <laughs> week that you were Debbie Downer. I apologize on the air in front of the whole world right now. You are not. You're just doing your job and bringing what's going on in that movement. Is Anthony Smith on the line? I'm on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Anthony. Thank you. <laughs> that is our that is our residential activist slash artist, better known as the Artivist. Yes, your favorite artivist. Anthony Smith. And we are mm. blessed to be joined by Mike Tidwell, Brooke Harper, and Harrison Wallace um, from what many deem and I like that. I know this is real, and I'm, I'm not. And I'm not. I, I might be a little partisan, but this is what it is. Many deem the strongest regional climate organization in the United States. My brother Bill McKibben said that that is the Chesapeake Chesapeake Climate Action Network. So I am so happy to have them in the studio. We are going to get to them, but before we are joined by our amazing guest, 
I want to remind everyone to call in to 202-588-0893. This is our weekly show. We know we have a weekly show, and we have, there's actually, there's a road show. So as Mustafa said, please go to thinkonet.info to get all of that information. But this is your show, the people's show. So call in live to 202-588-0893 to ask questions or to give comments. Now let's get started with our co-host, Antonique Smith. Antonique, what's happening in the movement right now, and what do people need to pay attention to? Well, Rev and Mustafa, all I need to say is the women's wave is here. Yes, indeed. Powerful. Yes, indeed. It's powerful, and it's moving, it's moving the country in a positive direction, which Lord knows we all need. Over 100,000 women turned out on Saturday to participate in the Women's March 2019 in a push for social justice and policies that promote equality, rights, and opportunity for all. I love that so much. With a record number of women elected to Congress in 2018 midterm elections, organizers said their agenda this year included Equal Rights Amendment, expanding the Violence Against Women Act, universal health care, reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights, the decriminalization of sex work, campaign finance reform, and action on climate change. Ooh, I was hey. getting worried there. I was, I, was, I, was getting, I was like, man, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I had to save the best for last because nothing is more important than us being on Earth. Like, none of these other things even exist if we're not on Earth. <laughs> That's right. So, action on climate change. Yes, yes, sir. Um, Rev, I also want to highlight the first annual Indigenous Peoples March that took place in D.C. the day before the Women's March. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Our Indigenous brothers and sisters held a powerful all-day march and rally in D.C. to bring awareness to oppression-facing Indigenous peoples worldwide. The march and rally had thousands of people on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and inspired more than 10 solidarity marches globally. The peaceful event with the theme of We Are One. That's right. It was just so beautiful, so beautiful. But here's my Debbie Downer. You oh, know, I Lord. had to do it. <laughs> I had to do it. Yeah. But unfortunately, just after the Indigenous Peoples March ended, the ugly head of racism showed its face. Mm. In short, Nathan Phillips, an indigenous elder, attempted to defuse a confrontation on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. Instead, he found himself surrounded by a rowdy mob who was openly mocking him, y'all. Nathan persisted with grace and honor, which is just incredible to watch. And if you haven't seen this... (laughs) You're pretty much sleeping under a rock because it's been all over the news. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we should always remember that that so many activists get a paycheck for their activism, and we often forget that many for many communities of color and in this community, their activism is a matter of life and death. It's not for a paycheck. It's literally a matter of life and death, which is how I feel about our activism as well on this show in particular. That's right. And we saw that play out on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial this past weekend. How crazy is that, of all places, for this to happen? Rev, you had a chance to sit down with Nathan Phillips, the indigenous elders who, who 
who tried to use the situation. Can you please tell us, tell us, tell us about him? No, I did, Antonique. And, um, you know, I was so blessed to feel Nathan's love and his mm. commitment to bringing about positive change through love and understanding. Um, mm. I met with him Sunday at the Indigenous People's Leadership Meeting. In fact, we did a little Think 100% interview with him um, as we were surrounded by so many incredible <clears throat> Indigenous leaders that were there. Um, so I want to take a, a moment just to reflect on the last few days um, and, more importantly, I think President Trump's response to the incident at the Lincoln Memorial. Um, one, we were there. Um, it's important to note that we were there um, at the Indigenous Peoples March, and right before this incident happened, um, many of us who were part of the Hip Hop Caucus left. But we definitely saw some of the students, didn't know who the students were. We saw some students who were wearing uh, the MAGA hats, Make America Gray hats, as well as we saw the, the people who were the, the Hebrew Israelites who were there. And to be clear, at that time, um, the Hebrew Israelites were in a position where they were, you know, speaking really rough um, to everybody. And most people ignored what they were saying. And that's important. Um, what, what is important here is that the thing since this incident happened, um, you know, many people have, have not understood what Nathan Phillips did. And, you know, I can truly, for me as a reverend, I really want to speak to, particularly if they're listening or hear this, those who are at Covington High School or are part of that community, because we are supposed to both be Christians. And so in this thing, for me, that one that struck me with Nathan is that this elder who saw these children, and you'll hear him shortly speaking uh -huh. about what he did. But he saw people who were talking bad about him. And then he saw these children in a bad situation. And then he, and I don't know what happened to chaperones, but he put himself in the middle. Like literally began to pray for other folks' children. Now you gotta understand, and we, we, next week's show, we're gonna get more into this, but you gotta understand that there is a very bad tradition actually with the Catholic Church, residential schools, and the cutting of hair, and with, with, with Native Americans, but he at that time inserted himself truly as a hero, put himself there. Now, I've told this to so many people that, you know, it would probably have been better if they didn't have on the, 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 the MAGA hats and would have mm -hmm. had on the WWJD hats, what would Jesus do hats? Because mm -hmm. I think if they had those hats on, they would have been in a, in a position um, to really defuse. And unfortunately, I hope and pray, like Nathan, that those young people um, can reflect upon this um, and see what needs to be done. We're going to talk more about this next week, but the one thing I want to say is this. President Trump, um, if you can do anything, I know you're playing sides, but right now, if you can reach out um, to Nathan Phillips, he is a hero. He stood beside, between people, not because of their color, black or white, but he stood on the Lincoln Memorial Steps where Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech and put himself in the middle to save Americans. And if that's not a hero, 
I don't know what is. And so next week's show, we're going to go a little digger, deeper dive into indigenous rights. But I wanted to share with our listeners my conversation with Nathan. Let's roll it. I'm here with Nate. You're here for the Indigenous Peoples March. The whole world has seen um, the interaction with the students from the Covington Catholic. Tell them what happened in that, in, in that instance. It was a, a disturbance over there on the, on the mall. And uh, we were over here for our Indigenous Peoples March. And at the end of it on Friday evening, uh, there was a group of folks. They called themselves the Lost Tribe of Israel. And they were there doing their their soapboxing. And so we mostly just ignored them. Uh, a few folks was listening to what they were saying. And, you know, they're, they're telling their truth. <laughs> then... Uh, a group of young people who were in attendance of the Rights to Life march uh, started milling through our area. And from the first uh, group that witnessed what the Lost Tribe of Israelites were saying, and, do, and uh, they took offense to it, and from there it just escalated. And it was a uh, racism, you know, just straight up, you know. These young people, they they didn't like it for what was being said, and uh, there should have been somebody there to help uh, help those young people understand, you know, what what we're doing here in in America. It's like freedom of religion, freedom of speech. You know, that was our our national monument, our national law, and it's a place where people go and you know do their speech making you know people want to go out there and express their views that's what it's for you know so then when these young guys they were you know going back and forth and and confronting these uh these uh, the the israelites the last tribe it started escalating to a point where there was a mob of them over a hundred maybe 200 people say it was close to 250 you know there was a lot of people on that mall and a lot of young men in those red hats. And it got to a point where, you know, mob mentality would take over. You know? And there was a, a moment there, one of my relatives says, said, we got to do something. we got to do something, Uncle. And I thought, well, what can we do? It's not, it's not our, you know. It's one of those things, if you see something going wrong, do you walk away, do you turn away? You know, you see something, you know. What I've seen was youth of America running headlong off a cliff you know they were and these are our our future this is our future you know? so when I stepped out there it was a it was a prayer you know took the drum took my song and went to go sing and and it wasn't to like really heal anybody but it's just to Something had to be done. It's the only thing I knew how to do, is pray. Here, this mass of young men was getting ready to descend on these four individuals. And, you know, we were talking about earlier how, you know, lynchings happened in this country. It wasn't too long ago. And that's what this, this mob of young men looked like. They looked like they just wanted to hurt these guys. Here, I'm standing in between them and their focus 
all their anger, all their hate was focused on these four individuals. And here I'm putting myself in front of that. If somebody didn't do something, there could be that point of ignite. What if those hundred plus young men descended on those four, four, four black men and maybe beat them to death? It was, it was that, at that point, maybe they hurt these guys. And we're waking up today, we're th- instead of, you know, what I did, what they did, maybe they hurt those black men. Maybe they murdered them on, 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 on the National Mall. Hmm. Let me ask you this. First yeah. of all, thank you for that. Um, but I know this isn't your first time with activism. We both share um, our, our love for fighting um, for clean water um, and clean air. That's my hat is Minnie Wachoni yeah. um, and Standing Rock. So speak to that for a little bit. Speak to um, your work with uh, fighting against the Keystone XL pipeline and your work of fighting out in Standing Rock and why is that so important? So the Keystone XL pipeline, the DAPO, all these pipelines that are going through going through um, uh, our lands. Um, I, well, first of all, I, I never really, uh, never considered myself an activist. Okay, explain uh, that. Um, I've never been about protesting. I, I've never really like wanted to put myself out there and ruckus, you know, raise that ruckus, you know, so, but the, the idea is that, you know, not being an activist, but being a protector, you know, that came out of the Standing Rock and Line 3 like that, you know, but, um, it's, it's not like, it's not like, um, it's my choice, you know. A lot of activists, it's their choice to go out there and say, "Hey, this is this, this is the movement. This is what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and protest." And that's not the indigenous way of protesting. I mean, we're we're forced to march, we're forced to do these things, but we don't see them as protests. You know, it's a how to express that that you know we're fighting for our survival. You know. We do appreciate the folks who are standing with us, the allies, you know, because they're starting to see, they're starting to be awoke, as they say, you know, waking up to what's going on, what's happening in this world, you know, what's happening to all our children, you know. And we are seeing more people, like you mentioned, who are now beginning to fight the climate mm-hmm. with indigenous methods. Why is that important? Why are we seeing the people looking to the indigenous family to lead on issues for fighting for clean water and clean air? It's what a lot of people say, that the indigenous way is going to save the world. Now, I, I haven't really quite understood that until lately, you know, but so many people are coming to it hear our our stories, our histories and how we maintained ourselves for a millennium. So when they do come back to what we do, we have protocols, we have ceremonies that go with these things. It's like here today before we started this we had ceremony, you know, they put a you know, star quilt on me, they put protection on me, you know. They honored me. 
part of our protocols, you know. I didn't expect it, you know, I wasn't looking for it, but I had to be here and stand here and let that happen, you know, in a good way, you know, just like, so for the young people there, you know, to stand in adversity without hatred and anger in your heart, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to, that's what I was doing, you know. I didn't want to face those young men with anger and hatred because it was already there. You can't force people to respect, you know. The respect just has to be there. They have to, it's something that is taught, you know. And if these children's parents haven't taught them to respect people of color, you know, maybe this, this uh, event might be that thing that will turn a person's heart, turn a person's mind. Well, man, my brother, I'm from on behalf of Hip Hop Caucus and Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, and this all your friends and family. Yes. You know, we love you and we thank you and we thank you for your for your, your courage. Thank you, brother. Hip Hop Caucus. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Moments like this speak to why our show, Think 1%, is so critical. Our show is, a, is led by people of color who understand the overt and covert impacts of racism and discrimination. And this platform is putting a spotlight on our humanity, raising voices that often are never heard, and providing a template on how when we stand in solidarity, we can win on the most pressing issues of our generation and beyond. So next week's show will be more conversation with Nathan and other leaders from Indigenous People's Movement about this incident and what it means for our movement and the Indigenous leadership in the climate movement. And so with that, you are tuned in to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. So, all right, y'all, let's get into this incredible show we have today. We have three incredible guests. Um, real quick, I want to make sure it was, I said this correctly. I think I might have said Hebrew Israelites, but it's the black Hebrew Israelites. So make sure that's very clear on, on that. Uh, make sure that was clear to everybody who heard me earlier. Um, but we have three guests in our studio. Mike Tidwell. Uh, what's going on, Mike? Uh, glad to be here. Thrilled to see you, Rev and <laughs> Mustafa. It's really great to be here. Brooke Harper, my sister, how are you? Pretty well. I like that. And Harrison Wallace, how are you, my brother? I'm good, Rev. How you doing? Man, I'm doing good. That is the good folks. Man, the winning team. You know, y'all think LeBron got a winning team out there in L.A. Uh, hey. You know what I mean? You know, you're going to say LA, hey on that one. She was coming. You know what I'm saying? But that's the winning squad. The squad from the Chesapeake Climate Action Network. Welcome to Think 100%. So, Mike, let's get started with you for the for the for the for the new folks. I'm thinking we got a lot of young folks listening to this show. Can you talk about how you how why you founded the Chesapeake Climate Action Network? Well, uh, first of all, it's great to be here. I'm a big fan of Think 100. I I have the podcast queued up on my phone. I listen every week. Sometimes I speed it up to one and a half two to catch up and listen two two times speed and. I just love, I don't want to miss a single minute of the show. So it's great. If y'all aren't listening to the podcast or live here in D.C., you need to get with the program. So it's great to be here. Um, I formed Chesapeake Climate Action Network in 2002 
because I was a journalist for years and I started uh, covering climate change. Mm. And I read Bill McKibben's book, The End of Nature, right. in 1990, and it really changed me. And I started writing about climate change as a journalist for The Washington Post and, and other publications. And then I, I just realized the, the distance between what we know about climate change and what we're actually doing about it mm. is like intergalactic mm. and, and distance, you know? And I've, I just felt like I needed to do something about it. I needed to do something about it because um, I'm the father of a 21-year-old son who's getting ready to start his uh, career, and I feel like uh, if we don't do something about climate change, he's going to have a fraction of the opportunities in his life that I've had in mine. Uh, number two, I'm also a Christian, uh, grew up Southern Baptist. Now, I'm kind of a recovering Southern Baptist and a <laughs> Presbyterian now, but my Christian faith guides me in everything I do. And number three, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Democratic Republic of the Congo in the 1980s. And, uh, you know, living in a village with, you know, it wasn't a question of, uh, wind-powered electricity versus coal-fired electricity. These people didn't have electricity. It wasn't a question of SUV, gas-guzzling car versus Prius. They didn't have cars. You're talking about a billion people in Africa who contribute almost nothing to climate change, and yet, as we speak, are suffering record droughts and floods, all of which takes food right off the table, subsistence farmers. And, and that is just utterly and totally morally unacceptable. And so those are the three main drivers that led me in 2002 to say, I want to create the kind of group I'd like to be part of, because it didn't exist. There wasn't a regional group or a state group that had climate change at the top of its list of priorities in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. So I started me in a laptop in my house and raised some money and hired some great people like Harrison and Brooke, and here we are. Well, speaking of those great people, Brooke and Harrison, give us a little background of yourselves as well. So I started out as a social worker and then did anti-war organizing and from there worked on Obama's 2008 race and came back home after traveling for two years and was working in the labor movement and loving that work. And um, part of the decision to come to CCAN came when you had to make those really tough political calls of do you support this candidate or that candidate. And at that time, the big issues on the table were fracking and as well as incineration. And mm. we were supporting the candidates that were for fracking and supporting the candidates that were for incineration um, and couldn't really justify supporting candidates that were going to destroy my home. And I had a good friend call me and said, hey, go, there's this job opening at CCAN. <laughs> and I said, I'm not an environmentalist and I don't want anything to do with that. And I met. Mike, who just inspired me so much and continues to inspire me and drive me every day. So that's why I'm here and getting to make a really great change. Oh, man. And Harrison? Um, my story, uh, kind of similar to Brooks. I was a campaign organizer. I worked on a lot of state-level campaigns in Virginia. I'm um, born and raised here. I only spent about six months outside of this state living somewhere. And tell the folks and we're I here, because everybody around the country listening, so tell the folks where here is. Uh, here is Richmond, Virginia. All right, so now. I've, li I've lived in about eight cities in this state, but all over Virginia. Um, and, you know, working on campaigns, learning more about politics, I just started noticing two things. One, that the environmental movement was being left behind, left at the altar every time someone won an election. I always would campaign on all these issues, and then when I checked in on the people I work with, uh, they, weren't, they weren't paying attention to it. And two, the people who were pushing those issues Almost none of them were people of color in Virginia. Um, so after working on Governor McCullough's campaign uh, 
2013, I just realized that something had to give. I needed to go and do what I could to hold them accountable and also speak up for folks in the Shenandoah Valley where I'm from that are fighting the Atlantic Coast Pipeline and folks uh, out in Hampton Roads, which is the beach area of Virginia, who are dealing with rising seas at the same level as New Orleans. And we saw what happened when there hit a storm there. So the best group I knew that would make sure I got plenty of chances to hold the governor accountable was CCAN. And I got here four years ago and don't plan to leave anytime soon. I know that's right. Come on now. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> and so real, real quick, Rookie, tell us where you're from. You didn't mention... Where are you from? I'm from Hagerstown, Maryland. I know. Hey, shout out, shout out Hagerstown. <laughs> I know. Listen, I, I've heard, never ever said it in my life before, so I just always want to say shout out Hagerstown. <laughs> Rev be at the outlets. That's what he be doing. <laughs> listen, <laughs> come on now. Why not, <laughs> Mustafa? Yeah, Mike. You know the great climate champion Bill McKibben has said that your organization, the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, is is one of the best uh, regional. Uh, no, he didn't say that. He said the best. He said the best. Indeed. Like. He said it like he meant it, too. Oh, come on, man. And I just want to make a quick come correction. On. Bill McKibben said we were the best, not in the United States. Bill McKibben's a guy who yeah. works on global climate change yep. all over the world. He said the best regional group in the world, Uh-oh. which is the biggest compliment we've ever gotten. We got so, a big head over it. So, so let, me, let me say something, y'all. You, you can tell Mike been around some brothers <laughs> and some sisters, right? Because, you know, some folks, you know, I just, I'm just trying to keep it 100. So some folks be like, oh, it's the best, yes, and it's the best in the area, and it's the world. Mike said, hold up, hold up, Mustafa. Hold up, Mustafa. Check. <laughs> let me tell you something. He didn't say that. He's no, Bill's, he broke down, Bill's global. <laughs> right. He did. He did. You know global. what I'm saying? That, like, listen, that is fantastic. It is good stuff. That is. And you guys have done some amazing, amazing projects recently. Um, and I know you do them in solidarity and coalition with others. Uh, and you guys played a huge role in one of the boldest pieces of climate legislation that's out there, mm. which recently happened here in Washington, D.C. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamics that go into that and, and how you guys in coalition with others were able to actually make that happen? Well, on December 17th of 2018, just a few weeks ago, the uh, city government, the district council, D.C. council in Washington, D.C. passed the strongest climate legislation in the history of America. Uh, it will get the District of Columbia, including the White House and Congress, on 100 percent wind and solar electricity by the year 2032. That's faster than Hawaii, faster than California. It's amazing. And this is a state and D.C. is a state. Uh, that has more people than Vermont and Wyoming uh, and a budget bigger than like five states. Um, so 100% clean electricity law, boom, not mm. a goal, not an aspiration, law. Uh, also, uh, it's strongest building efficiency standards uh, in the country, uh, huge incentives for electric vehicles, charging stations. It's just an amazing, quote unquote, omnibus bill. Big shout out to Mary Che on the mm-hmm. D.C. Council, Phil Mendelson, D.C. Council, Mayor Bowser, Rev and I were together on Friday right. when yeah. uh, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser signed that uh, law into uh, signed that bill into law, and I got one of the pens. So you did. Um, it, it was a great. It was a Oveskin great check. No, actually, yes. it wasn't a real. He actually he, he he was slick this time. He just got he got the pen. And so <laughs> folks don't know when it's my son's law. There's well, a lot of folks. The mayor then signs pens like the president does, and they then pass the pens. They had like four or five pens and so you want to keep so actually if you go to CCAN's office there's a bunch of pens of legislation they've passed up on the wall that's right okay. yeah and so I got that and basically that was a great coalition we had uh, Sierra Club of course we had uh, economic justice groups uh, we sat everyone in a table we got all the progressive groups and we said you know what kind of bill do we want to pass we started from the beginning beginning we built the trust it took us two years 
You know, good bills, they say, you know, bad bills can pass in a hurry. Good bills take time. Mm. Two years of hard work, and we were able to come together, and it was a beautiful signing uh, last Friday. And uh, Muriel Bowser, uh, great African-American mayor of the city, she said, this climate bill is us. And and th- those people in the White House that say this is a face of America, no, this is the face of America, she said. And it was so inspiring. But it's basically take the time to do it right, bring everyone together, aim high. And and you can get high without yeah. a doubt. Mm. Hey. I wonder if the president hey. going to trip because he's going to be uh, using clean energy real soon. Come on now. Whether they right? like it or not, That's it's right. coming. That's right. Uh, well, what's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Chesapeake Climate Action Network. I wish I was in there with y'all. But um, I want to uh, get into the specifics of why the new Clean Energy D.C. Act is the best out there. What mm. makes it the boldest piece of climate legislation in the country? And why is it such a model for other cities to follow? Well, it, again, it goes. It covers all the bases. Uh, it clean electricity, clean cars. It also has a strong equity component. You know, speak we, on that. That's, that's that's because this is the this actually would have been almost like a green new deal. Yeah, it, had we passed it two two months later than than when we did in December, we would have called it the DC Green New Deal uh, Act. Uh, but it has a strong equity component. That, that democratizes solar power, guarantees that low and moderate income people can put solar on the roof uh, at a, a below market cost. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of rooftop solar because of this bill. Uh, and it keeps the price really low for everybody else. And we have the advantage that wind and solar prices are, are dropping tremendously. And it, it sets the example by, by showing that this can be done. We don't we, we don't have to just talk about Paris and talk about goals and all that. We can actually get it done. And I will say, I know uh, Brooke and Harrison, both uh, uh, the, the, the states of Maryland and, and D.C., which totally surround the District of Columbia, are being inspired. And uh, I know you're you're trying to expand the pie there in Maryland. Brooke. So in Maryland, we're also pushing for the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which would get Maryland to a 50% renewable energy standard by 2030. And as part of that, we... Brooke, hold that question okay. right there. I'm going to make sure. So when will we get to clean energy in D.C.? Uh, it's 100% by 2032. Okay, and Brooke, you said we get to clean energy in Maryland by when? 50% by 2030 with a goal of 100% by 2040. Okay. Well, go ahead. So tell us some things about that Maryland bill. So the Clean Energy Jobs Act, it has four primary provisions. The first is to get us to 50 percent renewable energy by 2030. The second, unfortunately, in Maryland's uh, clean energy standard, we have burning trash as a renewable energy source. And we know that overburdens communities of color and low income Mm -hmm. communities. And so we're standing up and finally saying no cash for trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, come on now. Say, come on now, bro. Yeah, go ahead you got to that, that one more time, man. You got, yeah, come on, come on now, bro. Yes, that. No cash for trash. We like that. But, um, and the third is to make sure that is we're growing our renewable energy industry because it's going to bring thousands of jobs that we're investing in workforce development across our state and training the next generation of solar installers and wind turbine manufacturers. But as we are filling those jobs, we also want to make sure that people that have experienced the the most harm from climate change are reaping the benefits of the green economy. And so we're making an unprecedented investment in small minority women and veteran-owned businesses 
with this bill. First of all, that last part's very important. Explain why that part is important. That part's important because we we need, in order to have a robust renewable energy economy, we need everybody sitting at the table. And the owners of our renewable energy industry should reflect the, the overall communities that they're in. And African-American communities, low-income communities, and rural communities are often overburdened by climate change, but they're not actually reaping the rewards of our green economy. We want to make sure that they do. Yeah. All right. So I actually wanted to swing right quick to, to Harrison. So Harrison, we heard the good news in D.C. We've heard the good news in Maryland. Harrison, so what's going on in Virginia? So in Virginia, uh, right now we have joined a coalition of 26 or 27 with us groups uh, called the Green New Deal Virginia. Um, and our goal is the same as, as Maryland and D.C. We want to build a just and equitable path to 100% clean energy. Uh, right now, Virginia has no renewable uh, portfolio standard, no mandatory mm. uh, renewable energy. And we are a Republican-led uh, uh, House and Senate in our legislature. But there is good news. And, <laughs> and that is, I mean, just, uh, just a couple of years ago, we saw 15 seats in our legislature split. Uh, to, to people who don't take money from polluters, um, people who believe in climate change, and, mo- and most of whom who have signed on to the Green New Deal. We're already up to 13 people in just a couple weeks. So I think this is going to be something that's going to lead to a great policy that will come out of it in the spring um, that we will be able to use as a platform as we uh, get into the election season. And then in 2020, I think we're going to see something really special in Virginia. So, um, so, so, here's, so I, I want to, I want to just, cause let me back up there. I think it's important for Mustafa and Anthony. I want to back up there. I think this is, a, this is important because we had a show on a couple, a couple weeks ago, Mustafa, mm-hmm. thing with the pipeline and how that pipeline, go do a little background on that, in, on that piece in Virginia. Well, you're talking about the Atlantic coast pipeline running from West Virginia down through Virginia, where Harrison is from, and then ending in North Carolina. Um, and being placed, uh, running through many of our most vulnerable communities. Of course, Union Hill, Virginia is where they were placing the natural gas compressor. There's recently a vote, uh, Harrison, and I'll let you talk about that, um, where, you know, the uh, board decided to move forward with approving the air permit. Um, and the community is placed in dire straits. There are all kinds of different dynamics that go on with our pipelines. We have 2.4 million miles of pipeline across our country. We already have enough, way too much pipeline. You know, there's always the possibility of the breaches. I have not yet seen a pipeline that there hasn't been a breach. And then we also have to worry about when we're talking about natural gas compressors and and other forms that there could be explosions. Um, And then, of course, the impacts that come from uh, the air pollution and emissions that are also associated anytime we're dealing with any fossil fuels. Um, so, you know, uh, the folks there have been doing everything right. It was a community that was founded by freed slaves and who have been moving forward and trying to build a piece of the American dream. And now we have a governor and we have. Uh, I was going to ask that question for both you, for you, myself, and but for Harrison. Yeah. I want to, you started off. I mean, I was hearing this good news. I mean, there's actually a, a Republican governor in Maryland, but some things are happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's a Democrat governor in Virginia where there's some, I, I'm just positive with the Democrat <laughs> governor in Virginia. I'm sure that there's good stuff happening on that front. Well, you know, Rev, we often say that it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, or independent. If you are not doing the right thing, then we will find somebody who will. Oh, 
all right hey. now. Um, so that's just real talk. And, you know, we want to be supportive uh, of those who are willing to move forward in a way that is actually protecting of communities. But coming out of the environmental justice movement also, we often say that communities speak for themselves. So as individuals like Harrison, as individuals there in Union Hill and Buckingham County uh, who have to make the calls that they feel are best for their communities. Um, and, you know, we should listen to their voices. Um, and uh, that's where we are. I, I like that. Harrison, on that note, and I, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I would just add to that that those communities spoke up for themselves very loudly. And I think they made their voices heard across the nation, not just in Virginia. And you know, sometimes, unfortunately, it's becoming a little bit uh, less frequent, but the D in Virginia doesn't always stand for Democrats. Sometimes it stands for Dominion. And that's what we saw uh, with our air board today, uh, or not today, but, but a few weeks ago, was that the governor uh, saw an opening. It looked like the air board was actually going to vote to deny the air permit for the Buckingham Compressor Station. Um, back in November, they went into a back room. They decided to wait a month to look over some more comments and make sure they're making the right decision. And when they came back to vote on December 8th, two of them had been fired. Mm. Um, their terms were up, but their terms were up in June. Um, there were hundreds of other boards that had people who were overstaying their terms and they had not been fired um, or removed. And they were replaced with people who couldn't vote. So we were down to four members of a seven-member board since one of them had already recused himself to decide the fate of this community. Um, and even then, they were talked out of voting uh, the next time when there were some more very tough questions asked. So it took until January where they finally voted unanimously to approve the, the permit. But the, the governor's hands were clearly uh, on the scale. And I think that's just what we saw really since Governor McCullough is that this is a giant project from a company who is the third biggest donor in Virginia and uh, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, and the Party of Dominion Energy. And they wanted to see their project go through. Um, but I think the scrutiny is really working. So yeah. The only guy that's announced that he's running for governor in 2021 announced that he's not taking any money from Dominion. And he announced he was running for governor as he was suing the Mountain Valley Pipeline for their mm. multiple uh, um, inf uh, infractions of you know, not doing what they're supposed to do to keep their construction safe. Yeah. Uh, these projects are, are being attacked in the courts and losing almost every court battle they're getting into. Uh, permits are being revoked. And I think, you know, the things have doubled in price. They're just getting to the point to where even people who don't care about climate change are just thinking, why would I waste $7 billion on something that you told me would cost $4 billion uh, when I could just start investing in clean energy that's actually cheaper? So that's our goal. A thousand cuts, but we can we can stop this thing. Something that looked impossible a few years ago. I know that's right. And so, Harrison, for those who are just tuning in, you're tuning in to Think One Percent, the coolest show on climate change, and we have the best regional group and organization in the world. In the according world, according to our brother Bill McCubbin, Bill McKibben, and myself, to be honest, in that aspect, Chesapeake Climate Action <laughs> Network. The crew is in the building. We have Brooke. And Harrison and Mike Tidwell here, um, man. So if you have that, please go to the website for CCAN and check out what they got going on. Before I get to that, Harrison, I know that for our listeners today, you were out today with an impressive coalition 
um, in mm-hmm. Richmond. Can you just a little background on that as well? Yeah, um, the Green New Deal Virginia Coalition. Um, it includes us, uh, the Virginia State Conference, uh, NAACP, um, uh, Virginia Organizing, Sierra Club, Food and Water Watch, and Sun- Sunrise, like just groups from environmental to social justice to uh, racial justice, all coming together uh, to, fi- to figure out a way to get Virginia to 100% clean energy um, fast enough to stop what could be the worst of climate change and do it in a way that's just and equitable, that creates thousands of jobs, and that puts people of color and low-income people first. Um, so that's, we announced it in, in December. Uh, we have a resolution in the General Assembly right now to get the General Assembly of Virginia to endorse the program. And then, of course, over the course of the spring, we're going to build out a, a policy platform because if we if we build it out now, we'd be rushing it, and that's when you leave people behind. Hmm. Thank you for saying that, Harrison, because we have way, way too many uh, organizations who sometimes forget that critical element and then wonder why we aren't successful. Capitol Hill is a, a great example of trying to move yeah. forward on climate legislation without building real coalition. I know, that's right. Antonique, you, you hear that? Yes, yes, yes. Now, hold up, fellas. Y'all talking a whole lot, so I need to talk to Brooke. <laughs> hold up, wait a minute, you know. Brooke, please um, speak more on the M in the DMV. What does passing the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Act mean for the state's economy and workforce? Like, we're talking lots of jobs, too, right? Yes, so the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Act would create over 20,000 jobs in the solar Mm. industry, an additional 5,000 in the wind supply region. And my hope and what brought me here and what brought me to CCAN was when Mike said, I really want you to imagine rebuilding Baltimore City. And Mm. I worked um, with low-wage workers, and I want to see that happen. I want to see Baltimore City be the home of manufacturing our wind turbines. I want them on Maryland shore. And that's what that means. And it also means that communities like mine that have been also fighting much smaller pipeline projects, but for all of the communities that are fighting compressor stations, that are fighting pipelines, that this will ease that burden by transitioning us to a clean, renewable energy economy. It takes so much out of these communities and out of people's daily lives just to fight to protect their water and their air. And so my hope is that this bill will lessen that burden. And we know the fight won't be over, but there won't be as many battles. Amen Amazing. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Mike, let's, let's just dive a little deeper into some of this because, you know, we've got um, these fantastic examples of success. We also know that there have been a number of injustices in the DMV area, if you will. Everything from fracking issues, which sometimes folks forget about those low-income and working people. I was say what DMV is for folks around the country. Oh, I'm sorry. Everything from <laughs> Maryland, Virginia, and the District of Columbia. Um, but going back to the question, Mike, you know, we, we have had these impacts that are happening. Um, and you guys are the, you know, one of the top regional networks in the world. But you are connecting to a broader narrative. Um, so can you just kind of wrap this up in a bow for folks about the impacts or let me let me say it this way. The uh, incredible work that's happening. How does that tie into this broader narrative of how we're really trying to protect our planet uh, and stop some of the things that are going on with climate change? 
Well, I will say, first of all, Brooke Harper is way too modest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in 2017, Maryland banned fracking. Mm-hmm. We were the second state in the country to do it. First state to ban it through legislation in a state that actually has frackable gas, right. which Maryland does in, West, in uh, Western Maryland. Uh, and Brooke Harper led that fight more than anybody else. Anybody who was close to that campaign, if you ask them who was the number one leader of that campaign to ban fracking in Maryland, they would say Brooke Harper. So I really want to thank her for, for her leadership. And uh, Rev knows this. In 2011, when our friend Bill McKibben right. called us up and said they want to build a tar sands pipeline right through the middle of America, the the Keystone XL pipeline, and Bill McKibben called me up and he said, Mike, do you think we could get a thousand people arrested at the White House to protest that pipeline? Mm-hmm. And I said, Bill, you know, I don't know, but I know we could get two because I'll get arrested with you. <laughs> and one of our goals, we, we, the goal, the first goal of the Keystone fight was stop the pipeline. The second goal was normalize the fight against fossil fuel infrastructure, even if it includes civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. And before Keystone, mm-hmm. no, people weren't fighting pipelines. They weren't fighting compressor stations. People didn't know where their gas or their oil came from or didn't know what FERC was, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Now there's not a major proposed fossil fuel project of any kind anywhere in the world that's not being opposed by somebody. That's right. And that started with Keystone. So we inherited that tradition. Mm-hmm. We've tried to amplify it in Maryland. In fact, Scotland banned fracking in 2018, and they pointed to Maryland as an inspiration over mm-hmm. in Scotland. Nope. So. We know that our victories, especially because we are in and we occupy the District of Columbia, and our, our, our victories can be amplified through the great concentration of national and international media. So we, we take seriously that responsibility to get it right. So we've inherited this great tradition of fighting uh, infrastructure from Keystone, but also we want to go further than the rest of the country so that other states look to, for example, Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. and what Muriel Bowser, our mayor, did in signing that bill last Friday, 100 percent clean electricity faster than anybody else. Uh, and and to keep going in 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 Maryland, but also in Virginia, you know, a southern coal state. And and if Harrison has his way, they're, they're going to get in line and we're going to we're going to pass a mandatory mm. uh, clean electricity bill. We're going to do a lot for that vulnerable coastline yeah. uh, and we're going to stop two major frack gas pipelines. So that's on our agenda. That's fantastic. Well, man, listen, y'all got me fired up in here. That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm so fired up. Listen, I'm, I'm tired fired up. I am, y'all. Uh, Chesapeake Climate Action Network does know it's very it's like two degrees here. In D.C. So let me, let me set the scene first. Two, two degrees? It's maybe not, it might not even two degrees. All right. You know, and, and my mama, Dr. Yu, would be like, it's probably feel like negative, negative, <laughs> negative 10. That's right. Uh, but, uh, you know, and they have this thing called a plunge to keep winters uh, cold. They have the Chesapeake, they have a, you go out to the Potomac and then you plunge in and that actually raises money. So I'm so excited about this and I want everybody to get excited about this. I am going to volunteer. Our producer, Mike, Mark. <laughs> I was curious to see where I'm going to. So Mark is going to be, I just got a call from, from, from Gary and Madison. Was our, our regular calls. And he said, I can volunteer Mark oh to, to be my, my proxy. To go over with Mike. The polar bear plunge. <laughs> so tell, tell them about the polar bear plunge. This Saturday, oh, January 26th, there are going to be hundreds of us for the 14th time in a row. We are going to run screaming into the Potomac River. It's a fundraiser. We have a great party. It's at National Harbor, uh, just a few miles from where the studio is right now. 
we we count on it. We count on the generosity of people to support poor suffering people like us who literally walk. Some of us run. Some some of us tiptoe into the Potomac River. Uh, on the, the Mark's gonna run though. Yeah, Mark, Mark's, gonna Mark's gonna be in my proxy, so he's gonna <laughs> uh, he's gonna go he's gonna like get into his skitties and he's gonna run. He has to go in a little bed right now, Anthony, and he's gonna run out there. We should have, I him do twice. have another proxy twice, twice from the streets think, to the suites, from the streets to the suites. Oh. I think twice is a good. So listen, y'all, you need to show up to see Mark. The producer of Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, be so cool as he goes out <laughs> into the Potomac. Tell me one more time <laughs> yep, <you laughs> why, how they can get involved. It's it's this Saturday, 10 a.m. If you're listening locally, uh, National Harbor, you can learn more at the website, www.keepwintercold.org. That's keepwintercold.org. If you can join us and participate, great. If you just like to chip in a, a couple of dollars, for, it's a great fundraiser. It's part of how we keep our campaigns alive. We, we depend on individuals to keep us going and to fund the great work of Brooke Harper and, and Harrison Wallace in, in Virginia. So that's this Saturday, January 26th. Keepwintercold.org. Check it out. And I know, Anthony, you wouldn't let us close on this oh, part without you know, asking about, about what now makes. You know. go, 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 ahead, go ahead, Anthony. Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead ask Mike and Brooke you and Harrison your question. Yes, this would not be the coolest show on climate change. If we didn't talk about what keeps y'all motivated for the fight on these issues, can you share with our viewers who is your favorite artist or your favorite song that fires you up? All three of y'all. So let's start with let's go Mike, then then Harrison, then Brooke. Wow, that's a tough one. Uh, I uh, I'm I, you know in terms of artists and great. Great writing. Uh, of course, a guy we've mentioned several times, Bill McKibben, uh, his writing is clear. It's inspiring. Mm. It, it's beautiful. Uh, he writes about God and nature, and he writes about right and wrong, and he's really inspired me. So I, I, my artist mm. I go with would be a writer since I, I'm a writer myself, and Bill McKibben has changed my life with mm. the way he makes his writing so vivid and, and that, that uh, uh, moral call. Mm-hmm. Aww, that's awesome. We love Bill. Good. That's awesome. Harrison. What about you, Harrison? Um, well, it's a hip-hop show. I know it's, it's, I got to get my hip-hop artist. Come on, Harrison. I'm a Virginia boy. <laughs> so if I, since I was a kid, I think I've been to three of their concerts. Anytime uh, Pharrell and N.E.R.D. come on, okay. um, hey, it really helps yeah. me out. But as far as like a song that gets me hyped up, you know, this has been a year of change in Congress, and I hope a year of change in the Virginia General Assembly. So Drake's mob ties. Okay. Uh, I won't say the real words, but I'm okay. sick of these dudes. Okay. Get rid of these dudes. That's how, that's that's how right. I'm thinking for 2019. All right. Harrison coming for the real. All right. <laughs> Brooke. So I'm going to keep it bluegrass or a little blue trash with the local band, the, the broke down hustlers and try to smile. Uh, okay. So that's what keeps right. me going. Uh, so you know Mustafa's from West Virginia. Yeah. So you know he understands the bluegrass or the blue trash. <laughs> whatever you were just saying over there. But, uh, he's going, you know, y'all just go ahead picking those sticks up in here and hitting those banjos up in this, in, in, in here. Hey, it takes all kinds. Yeah. That's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it that culture. That is what makes it beautiful. Man, listen, I just want to tell folks that I am personally so proud uh, to speak Climate Action Network. Um, you know, uh, I agree with Bill on what he said, but I want to say what I want to say, that they are an amazing organization. 
And, and they are the reason why I think a lot of organizations need to call up Mike and Brooke and Harrison and have conversations about how we can continue to have regional pieces and regional conversations that, that link into the national dialogue. I think, and that's clear they're in DC. And so there's some natural things there, but it is, it is, it is a wonderful organization and they are have, they have some wins. So before we end the show, please tell everyone how people can find you. We want to make sure they know how to get in contact with CK. Yeah. So uh, first of all, again, it's great honor and privilege to be here with y'all and my good friend, Rev, one of my oldest friends in the climate movement. I think we met right after Mm -hmm. Katrina. That's right. uh, And we were we were causing trouble then. We occupied a ledge over the front door of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Silver Spring. It was it was crazy uh, to draw attention to the fact that uh, NOAA was uh, suppressing science on climate change. ChesapeakeClimate.org. That's our website, ChesapeakeClimate.org. If you live in Maryland, uh, just click on the Maryland tab, and we've got all kinds of information on how you can plug in. There's a General Assembly session going on right now. Uh, Brooks leading the charge to pass a, a, a bill that would help stop pipelines in, in Maryland and also promote wind and solar. And uh, Virginia, same thing. Hit the tab at ChesapeakeClimate.org, and uh, that's how you find us. Thank you all so much. Please, folks. Check them out. Come out there to this weekend to the Potomac um, as we do the polar bear plunge. Come out there and see my proxy mark for me, which is going to be amazing. Make sure and, and read the, the article in Gris uh, and check that out. Mustafa? Yeah, I was going to say, so somebody told me there was an opportunity to get a Tesla also. Mike, can you talk a little bit about that real quick? Yeah, we have a, a board member that's donating a Tesla to Chesapeake Climate Action Network. We're going to raffle it later in the spring. Maybe we can come back and talk to everybody about how you can enter a raffle to to win the coolest electric car in, in the world. <laughs> okay. Well, if you see somebody who bought a whole lot of tickets with the initials <laughs> MSA, <laughs> you know it's Mustafa Santiago Ali that's bought up all the tickets uh, on that. So, listen, um, man, folks, thank you so much. I just want to say, please keep my brother, you heard him earlier, check out next week's show um, on the Indigenous People's March but please keep Nathan uh, in your prayers. This machine now begins to attack him, the peacemaker. And so we just want to keep all of us and all the climate activists around the world, keep them in your prayers as we fight. Um, so with that, you know, I can't think of a better song to kind of close out, to give us kind of encouragement to close this show out with our incredible Grammy-nominated co-host, Anthony Smith. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think100Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100, think 100.